Hi there, and welcome to the Living with SMA podcast. We're here to have conversations about living with spinal muscular atrophy. Throughout this podcast, we will be covering lots of different topics from preparing for university, getting the most from your personal budget, sex and relationships, and lots, lots more. So we invite different hosts from across the SMA community to come together here. We want to answer your questions, provide you with useful tips and recommendations, and also share personal stories. So please do reach out and connect with us here at the charity SMA UK. Thank you for listening, and we hope to find the podcast useful. Hi everyone, and welcome to the next episode of Living with SMA. I'm your host, Living Cantor Castro. I have SMA Type 2, and today we're going to be covering SMA from when we were diagnosed right up through to present day. Unfortunately, not everyone was available at the same time, so we've had to record this session in different days and different times, so please bear with us. I'm sure it's still going to be as impactful as ever, and it's not going to be much of a difference It's just going to be more one-on-one conversations rather than a group of us talking together. I'm joined by some fantastic guests today, so hold on to your seats because it's going to be a great episode. So, I'm joined today by Becca, who is a really interesting person and I really hope that uh, we can get some insight into her life, SMA, and um, just follow the the theme of, of um, today's episode, which is talking about SMA awareness, what life is like with SMA, and how much support is available out there. So, Mega, if you don't mind me asking if you can introduce yourself to the community so we know who you are and what you're about. Yeah. Hi, everyone. Um, I'm Becca. You might have heard me um, on a couple of podcasts from a while back. Um, but yeah, I have SMA type 2. Um, and I am 23 and um, work full-time as a marketing executive. Um, so, yeah, I've been part of the SMA um, UK charity since I was around five. Um, yeah. Awesome. That, that, that's fantastic. Thank you for your commit, commitments to, to, the, to, to the charity. That's, that's really, <laughs> really great. Um, the, the first question I have um, is, when were you diagnosed officially with SMA? So officially, I was diagnosed when I was 18 months, um, but it was a really quite a long, slow process to get diagnosed. Um, I think my mum noticed firstly when I was about three months old that something wasn't quite right. I think she noticed that I wasn't feeding properly um, and I kind of wasn't gaining any weight. Um, And I think it literally probably took her maybe a year of going to different doctors and different specialists. Um, in the end, her and my dad paid privately to go to um, a doctor to try and work out what was wrong. Uh, at first, they kind of just said that, you know, some babies are difficult to feed, some babies do struggle to put on weights. Um, they kind of said that, you know, it was nothing to worry about. And then when I started kind of sitting up um, and kind of, I, I could lay on my tummy at first and lift my head up, but after a couple of months of gaining that ability I kind of I lost it so I would fall over quite easily from sitting up and I stopped being able to lift my head up and things like that um and at that point they kind of said that yeah there obviously wasn't something right with my development but um I was kind of called 
like a failure to thrive baby I think it was um they kind of just said there wasn't really any secure reason for it it was just it was just a thing um and then yeah I was um diagnosed 18 months with SMA it was originally diagnosed as type 1 um and they kind of said that I wouldn't live until like off like more than two years probably and I was already 18 months at that point um but I was then sent to a specialist um who was really really excellent and she diagnosed me with type 2 and kind of said that you know what they said about the condition wasn't really correct or anything so it was quite a long and like slow process um for my parents from what they've told me yeah, I, I mean, thank you for saying that. It's uh, something I can relate to. So I'm a little bit older than you, and um, <laughs> I had pretty much the same experience. Um, we had to go to a, a vast majority of specialists who thought they knew what they were doing and being told yeah. different things. And um, I, I'm originally from South Africa, and the medical system is not as ahead as what it is here in the UK. So I was going to say, I wondered, I wondered what the difference was. <laughs> yeah. It, 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 we had to, we had to see 15 different doctors before we realized wow. what was wrong and, and why mm. it was happening. And pretty much the same story where we were given life expectancies and, and all that mm. jazz. And at first there's nothing wrong. There's nothing wrong. Oh, it's just normal. And eventually someone took it seriously and did the right tests to confirm my diagnosis. I actually only got given a type when I came to the UK. So I was just given oh, wow. the title of SMA. No, no specific type. So mm. um, my my I can totally relate to that. Um, the, the next question I have for you is, at the time of your diagnosis, uh, um, from your parents and yourself, what kind of support was available to you and your family? I think emotional support is kind of a different aspect. I'll come back to that. But I think physically, um, they did kind of, once I had that diagnosis, from what I know, they did kind of throw a lot into it. Um, I remember, I think within literally a couple of weeks, um, I was cast with a body brace um, to kind of help my spine not deteriorate so quickly, which I know um, for younger kids now, they're not that keen on doing which I find really strange because it was it was literally only because I had that brace from so young that I was able to wait for spinal surgery until I was 12 um so I was given lots of different appointments for physios um and yeah I think I had weekly physiotherapy until I was 13 14 and I think it was only then that it stopped because um I decided that I didn't need it anymore I was I was capable of doing it myself and my carers um, I think I was given, yeah, there was quite a lot of kind of physio and rehabil not rehabilitation, but um, that sort of area of support given. There wasn't really any support given in terms of med like more medical support. So up until I was about five, I was in a hospital constantly, probably for six months of the year in total. And it was only when I turned five that they gave me a gastrostomy, which is like a peg that um goes into my stomach so I can be um given medication um and kind of supplements if I'm not able to eat properly. Um and they also gave me a BiPAP, which is an overnight ventilator, um, to sleep with at night. And that kind of literally within the space of a couple of weeks 
kind of managed to turn things around because um yeah it meant that I was able to rest with my lungs um to kind of prevent infections and things and I was actually able to start putting on weight um because I could kind of get the nutrition I needed but Mm -hmm. that that aspect of it took a long time for them to kind of take action rather than just kind of listening to my parents and saying oh hopefully it will get better um in terms of emotional support I'll be honest I don't from what I've heard from my parents I don't think they were given much emotional support at all um I think they were quite lucky in the fact that my parents were obviously very close um and they did kind of go through it all together and I think um they did kind of have the resources if they needed the emotional support to pay privately but I know that obviously most people don't have that option um so I think the emotional and like kind of mental support um is an area that's really lacking after diagnosis Mm -hmm. um and I also didn't receive any kind of care support until I was I think five so it was only when I went on the BiPAP and they saw that I had obviously I was I was deemed as having very like more medical needs that they gave the support. Um, even though you know my mum had um, my brother when I was three, so you know she was at home trying to do all of my care um, mm. and care for my newborn brother. And my dad worked away um, with his job, so it was only once it was deemed more medically necessary that they provided care support. Okay. And um, you you said that you've been involved with um, SMA UK even before it was called SMA UK yeah. at the age of five. Um, what uh, briefly? What is that? How has that experience been for you? Yeah, it's been great. I mean, I think it was it was kind of like a salvation for my parents. I think um, it was kind of one of the main ways that my mum obviously found kind of friends that were in similar situations and knew what she was going through um with regards to obviously like having a child with disability it was also like an amazing way to get kind of knowledge of like what to do and what not to do um I think a lot of kind of doctors they can give advice but they don't really understand the difficulty of balancing you know what what a five-year-old wants to do compared with you know you need to do four hours of physio a day um Mm -hmm. so I think the advice that they give isn't always kind of uh, feasible um so I think a lot of a lot of that aspect was great I know she used to I think it was almost like a buddy system um mm-hmm. where I think people with newly diagnosed children were paired with parents of more experienced um like children that had SMA and they would kind of provide like weekly support or just like almost like phone counseling maybe but mm-hmm. more just like yeah general support um, and we used to go to the conferences um, every other year or whenever they run, basically. Um, we'd go to the conferences, yeah, every time. Um, and we'd also go to, like, the Christmas dinners that they were doing and stuff. And it was just, like, a really nice way to meet people, like, with my condition and families mm-hmm. in a similar situation. Because I, I kind of went to a school. Uh, it, it did have a kind of support, like, a disabled support system. But I most of my friends like just ended up being um able-bodied just out of kind of just because they were um Mm -hmm. so I I didn't have that many friends that kind of were like me or knew exactly what was what it was like and stuff so that was really nice okay well uh, that's really great to hear I think again that's something that I can relate to because 
since I've been in the UK, SMA UK have been instrumental in the foundation that I've built here and the knowledge that I have. I mean, I, I know more about SMA UK in the 20 months I've been in the UK in comparison to what I had to find myself in South Africa for the first 35 years of my life. So yeah, that's, that's fantastic to hear. Yeah, it, it's, it's, it's really great to hear that there are still similar stories out there. So that I'm not alone. No, um, definitely not. Last question would be, what would you tell your younger self? I think probably the biggest thing that I would tell my younger self is to kind of not be afraid of how other people might judge me because of how I have to do things. I think when I was younger, I decided like I, a lot of situations, if I had to participate differently, I decided not to participate at all. Um, and I think that was like looking back, that was definitely to my own detriment. I mean, um, I don't know if you had them when you were a kid in South Africa, but we used to go on um, PGL trips with the school um, where it was like weekends away and it would be um, kind of like camping or in kind of dormitories um, and doing kind of like survival skills or things like that. And I decided that, you know, because I couldn't go on my own, I would have had to take my mum or a carer um, and I would have had to probably sleep in a different room I chose not to go at all um, because I was worried how children would judge me or yeah I don't know really um, and I think because I chose not to go I I missed out on it all there was no possibility of having a good time despite having to kind of do it differently because yeah I excluded myself um, so I think the biggest thing I would say to myself is yeah if there is something that I want to do then you might have to do it differently but that doesn't mean that it won't still be fun and you won't still kind of make good memories and things. That's fantastic advice. I think, um, I, again, I can relate. Um, there were situations where I chose I'm, I'm not going to partake in an activity. Um, and there were times when I did and, and regretted that the previous time I didn't. So yeah, <laughs> it's completely understandable. I think when we're younger, we we sometimes just, choose the easiest route and yeah. that's not sometimes the best route so <laughs> i really appreciate you sharing that with us um thank you for for sharing your story and, and what your journey has been like so far and um we look forward to hearing from you again sometime soon to see what you're up to and and uh, uh how much chaos you're causing in the world <laughs> yeah thank you for having me awesome thank you very much thank you You've been listening to the Living with SMA podcast. We hope you can join us again next time. But in the meantime, please don't forget to like and subscribe so you don't miss an episode. You can find out more on our website at smauk.org.uk. Thank you.